0: Welcome to the IMD podcast. On today's episode, Katharina Lange, Professor of Leadership, sits down with Alain Hayes, the CEO of the ADECA Group, to talk about lifelong learning in the context of the three sectors of society, business, government, and individual. So that means for you, the listener, and myself, on how we can stay relevant and employable in today's changing workforce. They also discuss the difference between learning and education and what that means to each of them. I hope you enjoyed listening to the discussion and the ways in which lifelong learning affects us all. Welcome. My name is Katrina Lange. I am Professor of Leadership at IMD Business School, and I welcome you to the podcast on lifelong learning. With me here today is Alain De Haas. He is the CEO of ADECO Group, the world's largest work solutions provider on this planet. So thank you very much, Alain, for being here today and joining me for the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. So I thought we'd maybe share three different lenses on lifelong learning. One would be the public sector, the traditional provider of learning like primary, secondary schools, tertiary education like university and the shifts we see there. Secondly, I would like to look at the corporate learning environment, how that shifts with employees having a different loyalty towards their employer and how employers respond to that. And thirdly, I would love to look at the individual perspective, how we as individuals maintain our employability. Now we see dynamics between the three different sectors and we have a new social contract between the different sectors. So would you mind elaborating a little bit on how you see the dynamics working before we move more deeply into each of it?
1: First of all, it, it is important to put the, the context. And, and the context is what we speak about the, the megatrends. And some of the mega trends have a, a huge impact regarding uh, education uh, broadly. Uh, acceleration of technology linked with skills and balances. And to give some figures, people are now losing about... of their skills after every period of three years. So basically, it means that after 10 years, you are obsolete, which gives two challenges. Uh, The first one is how as an individual, how as a company, but also how, how as a government, you make sure your country, your company and yourselves remain attractive and remain competitive Uh, in the labor market, in the international competition, uh, and and so on. So, first first, uh, challenge. And second, how, especially in the education field, what kind of training, what kind of education, what kind of skills would you you have to provide in order to make your pupils, uh, your customers, your country, uh, competitive and attractive for the future? Huge challenge on both Mm sides.
0: So we see Ariel Grijoy is really paying out well, saying the only competitive advantage you will have for the future will be the ability to learn, right? And all different, for society, for corporations and for the individual.
1: Exactly, and that's why we say what we should not now learn is to learn how to learn, because it will be a, a, a complete journey, a complete learning expedition from the, the youth till uh, your retirement. And in the past, we were discussing about uh, sequential career: You were first studying, then you were, uh, you were working, and finally you were retiring and enjoying life. Today, and especially with the desire of the new generation, this is something parallel. So you, you learn, you work, you stop, you study, you make a sabbatical, you learn again, you work, and, and everything is blurred. Which means it's, it's great, but on one hand, but on the other hand, it, it's quite a challenge for all the key stakeholders the individuals, the companies, and the governments. Mm.
0: One of my great teachers, she once said, fall in love with the word effort and have the effort to learn all the while. So that's, I think, one of the things that you also remember. So maybe we, we dive a little bit more deeply into the public sector or how governments or the public hand can provide a learning that is very conducive to this lifelong learning necessity. And I might bank on my um, experience in Singapore. I had the wonderful uh, opportunity living and working there for a couple of years. So what I've seen seen Singapore doing really, really strategically and strategically really, really well is to provide access for the entire population of Singapore to upskill, to really acquire the skills needed for the future. They did that in a very strategic manner with industry transformation maps. And I thought that was really a very excellent example on how a, a public hand can provide lifelong learning. Would you have other examples to share or maybe can build on that?
1: First of all, I would say that uh, Singapore is probably the, the best practice in the world. They did it really by the book. Why? Because first they defined the strategy where they want to take the country into the future. Based on that, they translated this, this goal uh, by verticals by type of industries, and then by industries, they define the talent type, uh, the competence they would need to realize the strategy. Excellent, A- and and based on that, they decided to reskill, upskill people not having the right uh, competencies to make sure that the strategy would be delivered. And what you see is that uh, the government is subsidizing between 80 and 90% of of, uh, the role, which are in need to be upskilled and reskilled. So this is the best example. And I think uh, many countries, but not only many countries, also uh, companies and individuals can be inspired by defining the way they want to go, the talent they need to have, and how you you, you make sure you either hide the talents you need or you produce, you reskill, you upskill the talent you need. This is the, the best practice we can only recommend to uh, to all the stakeholders. Now, some of some countries have developed very interesting practices, like Singapore. Another one, and it is one of our recommendations, is to create so-called individual uh, portable training account. Why? Because Knowing that your life will be a lifelong learning journey, it is important that you save money, like you save money for your retirement or you save money to protect you against illness. We think that we need to save money also for your reskilling and upskilling going forward, knowing that you will lose a lot of competencies Mm -hmm. during the next years to come. And we think that it should be individual and portable. Why? because we see that the young generation is becoming much more independent. It's much. It's becoming really freelancers. And so it is important that everybody has a kind of rucksack mm-hmm. uh, in which you put all the savings to assure you a, a great future. Some countries have done that. You have that in Singapore too, but another example is France. Um, and, and France has created this individual personal uh, or individual training account, which also for us is a great uh, best practice to spread all over the places in this new world.
0: Fantastic. And we're coming to the individual learner um, in a short while. I think it's also important to make the distinction between learning and education. I think traditionally we spoke about education and in my perspective, that is me as a teacher, broadcasting what my learners should learn right but now we're talking about learning which means I as the individual do have the responsibility to digest and also seek for the knowledge I might need in the future what's your view on that
1: my view is that um, for sure uh, structure education system should provide the basic uh, of of the education, uh, starting with reading, calculating, and so on, and so on, but they should also provide this curiosity, all these soft skills, empathy, uh, team collaborations, because all these soft skills are fortunately, or unfortunately, not provided by by algorithm or by a robot, and and so on, and that's where the human being is, is making the difference, that's point one, so Teaching them is becoming more and more important to uh, also to assure uh, a great professional future. This is on one hand. The other hand is um, learn to learn because knowledge uh, is now at disposal of everybody. And you see that with a a mobile phone or or with a laptop or a computer, you can tap into the knowledge of the world wherever you are whatever your social condition is provided that you have internet access and we have seen some some young brilliant uh, pupils getting access to incredible university just by learning uh, online passing the exam and being being uh, accepted which is great but it means also that for universities, high schools and so on, um, you, you get another purpose in what you do and it becomes more and more how to learn what to do with the knowledge. How do you put the knowledge in application? How do you create project? How you work as a project team and so on? which is another purpose to the education.
0: Yeah, I sometimes with my children use the word that I, use, I teach them how to drag these fishing nets with which they can weave through the oceans of knowledge to find what they would need. And secondly, I believe we need to show not only our children, but also our, our employees, our team members as a role model, what learning virtues are. So if we as leaders become role models in learning, I think people are willing to follow that example.
1: Absolutely and uh, at any age we have to learn to learn including at, at the advantage age of, of myself and it means keep this curiosity yeah. because learning is, is linked, very linked to curiosity.
0: I would like to move to the second sector, the corporate world. And you obviously, as a CEO of a Deco Group, have a a, a lot of insight in how to structure learning in an organization. So how have you seen corporate learning endeavors shift over time? And how would you define upskilling? This is one of the words that we used already, but I would love to give a little bit more definition and footage to that.
1: There are two parts in, in our transformation journey. On one hand, we are amplifying the work of our colleagues by putting technology at work, by doing process reengineering, so that they, they are becoming more effective, uh, more impactful uh, in the role for what they have been uh, hired and, and, and that they love. And, and so a lot of work is um, yeah, getting them used to this technology. Uh, which is there to to help them to and to allow them to to make the job they love, which is presenting candidates and the great candidates uh, to our customers uh, because the customers has, has a, an open vacancy in the temporary staffing in the permanent recruitment or whatever so technology and use of technology is becoming very important and, and Let's say reskilling or people to use this technology, how to reach out to candidate and so on. Is programmatic marketing all these new word uh, and technology based on data science is becoming extremely important for our job, and this is why we need to upskill and reskill people uh, mm-hmm. in all kind of um, yeah new knowledge. Mm-hmm. This is on one hand. On the other hand is uh, also leveraging technology to to. Uh, to expand in new adjacent markets. We have entered, for example, the upskilling and the reskilling uh, sector with the acquisition of Joe Assembly. Uh, this company is six, seven years old, so it's a totally new market. We are today the, the, the global leader in, in the outplacement, in the career transition. Last year, we helped uh, 360,000 people to find a, a new job, thanks to Liech Tarisson. A- and six, seven years, we were not speaking about ah, Yes, we can help people to find another job, but perhaps we can also help people to find, uh, to reskill themselves, because then they, w- they will become very attractive either inside the company they are currently uh, working for, or outside their current company, but being really attractive uh, outside. So also for us, um, again, technology and, and, and skilling people uh, outside, externally, is very attractive. Mm-hmm.
0: So if I think about and, and have a little sidestep maybe here of what the new world of work means for the companies, we see that traditional hierarchies do shift. Right. Not only do traditional work uh, relationships shift in terms that they become more short term or more freelance, as you mentioned. So the lifelong employment is, is rather the exception than the rule these days. So that's one. So time changes. But also, I think the nature and the structure within the company changes quite a bit. If you think of, for example, for hospitals. If the knowledge it becomes ubiquitous and accessible to almost everyone, then those are, have a competitive advantage who do really apply, administer the drugs, for example, to the patient. So what does that mean for the relationship of physicians, nurses in a hospital, for example? What does it mean for technical or computer savvy people in a bank versus the economists who normally would run if run it? So that might be an interesting shift in the hierarchy of world. Where I'm going there is um, not only do we need to acquire new knowledge, but also the ability and the acknowledgement that we need to change constantly, that the position that we've acquired over time might change, and that we admit that this is something where we need to change ourselves. How would you see that?
1: I see that as um, uh, we have two types of, of skills I was mentioning. You have the hard skills uh, and, and uh, especially the what we call the, the STEM skills are in high demand, and um, it's clear. But on the other hand, what is also in high demand is all the soft skills. Uh, and again, um, if you want to to remain attractive as an individual uh, in this new future of work or in this new world of work, uh, you, you, you need to develop both uh, because otherwise... Uh, yeah, you will become obsolete or you, you won't be attractive uh, in, in this market. Yeah.
0: So the hard skills, I believe, are more short-lived because they can be, let's say, provided by machines and the soft skills, which are, I would understand, innately human, are the ones that really differentiate us from the machines. Is that what we can absolutely, okay.
1: Absolutely, And But unfortunately, today, our education system is not really developed on the soft skills. If I, uh, I don't remember to have received uh, training on creativity, on emotional, uh, emotional intelligence. intelligence, on uh, uh, analytical skills and so on and so on. It was everything indirect, but not really structured. Mm.
0: So maybe we come now to the individual because uh, I would love to learn for me as an individual also how to prepare myself and also for my children to to, to advise them what would they learn right so I uh, just to share um, I had this leadership retreat this year in summer, and we had to think about what other characteristics of us and, and what is something that stands out and I thought okay there's always someone more intelligent or more creative than I am or whatever, but there was one characteristic about myself that I discovered only recently, I thought that was pretty good because it is coachability and being curious. And I thought this attitude brought me here and I'm pretty confident it will take me through the next journey. And if I were to teach my children or my my, my students anything, then I would love to teach that ability to admit that you do not know and to admit that somebody else knows better. And there's something you can always learn from each situation. Um, and now my question goes to you, how do you do da- that? I mean, you're at the top of a company, you're at the top of a o- huge organization, people look towards you. How you- do you remain coachable and flexible in your-, in your learning?
1: It is a state of mind, but you have also to, I would say to organize yourself, to be very approachable, to develop a culture of open, transparent feedback. Um, you have to expose yourself in situations where you can see the reality of the field. Um, one of the, the great months I have every year is the, the month of October because I spent this month with our so-called global CEO for one month. And it is um, one great youngster who has been selected this year among 260,000 candidates in 47 countries and who will shadow me and, and travel around 30,000 30, kilometers in one month uh, and um, with whom we will permanently interact. Okay. And I will ask regularly to, uh, to reflect on what uh, she has heard, she has seen, uh, her opinion, because it's enriched myself with the, the ears and the eyes of, uh, of a person who is very young which is the f- or future. And um, one of the practice I have put in place is the so-called astonishment report. Mm-hmm. And the astonishment report is after the month, I want, uh, I did want her to get uh, her astonishment, the points, the key points on, on which ha- she has been surprised this year. And by getting that in a quite structured way, um, it, I learn a lot. But for sure, it requests openness, it requests um, transparency. And then it is up to me to to make something out of it.
0: So fantastic. You have created a mutual learning opportunity, right? So she or the, the CEO... Reverse Shadow mentoring. Learned, kind of reverse, yeah, yeah, The reverse mentor learns yeah. a lot from you and you learn a lot from her. In this case, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, that's a very fantastic structured way to, to embed learning into your organization.
1: Another, another practice uh, we have. We, we are one of the best great place to work in the world. Um, And um, we have 100% open space, 100%. So it means that I have no private room, I have just a desk, near a desk of my colleague, and everybody is on the same floor, meaning that yeah, you go to the, the printing machine, you go to the breakout room taking a coffee. Everybody talk to everybody. And I think also by designing the correct work environment, you promote also that kind of, not only interaction, but with interaction, if you are curious, mm-hmm. you ask people, okay, what do you think about this? Or what are you doing? And what, 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 what are your challenges? And uh, what can, how can I better help you? So rather than to, to live in an ivory tower, uh, to break, really physically and also mentally, the walls between everybody is getting you a lot of insight, very fast in an efficient way.
0: I was thinking about how to include feedback in our learning loops. So feedback and receiving sometimes uncomfortable truths is something that we have to deal with as, as leaders, but also as human beings in everyday life. So how do you perceive feedback? Do you accept feedback from everyone? Or do you have a certain category that you say, OK, um, the question, uh, the reason I'm asking this, I, I recently watched a um, TED talk by um, Brene Brown. And she said after her first TED talk, she received a lot of atrocious feedback in social media and so she decided she would only accept feedback from those who get themselves out there every single day and get their um, rear ends kicked as well. So she said those keyboard warriors she wouldn't accept but those who are really with her who can um, um, you know, really passionately uh, relates to being there and being out there, that one she would accept. Do you categorize feedback as well in a certain way or do you take it regardless?
1: No, absolutely not. Um, I have another perspective. Uh, perception is reality. And, and and if you get the feedback, whatever the feedback, it means that you get a perception of somebody. And this this perception is for this person a reality and, and so and this is also for me reality mm-hmm. and perhaps i i think that there is a, a bad or a good perception but it is reality and and feedback means that we have to to work with that and 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 if we think that the the feedback is negative we have to understand why and 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 decide what we do and for me no i think feedback is part is, is really an embedded process in many many um, Meetings review we do and so on. We act after the, every meeting. We don't speak about feedback. We spoke about reflection.
0: Oh, fantastic, yeah. yeah. So one of the most wonderful um, advice I once got from uh, Tom DeLong actually from Harvard Business School, he said, I wish you someone who loves you so much that he, he or she tells you the truth. And if you were to wish something to our young individual learners or to our audience, what would you wish for them? What would be your wish for, for the people out there who want to learn?
1: I think it's um, on one hand, be open uh, for feedback, but also speak up because uh, it's also related to the cultural background and so on. some some people are more assertive, more outspoken than the others. But I think it is important going to the future that uh, everybody speaks up in a structured way, in a respectful way and so on. Uh, but it, We speak a lot, we are here in Switzerland, about direct democracy. I'm a strong believer in direct democracy. Um, Also in companies, even if in a company somebody at the end has to take the decision. But I think it is important, more and more important, that people are participating to to the decision and and, and to the project. Not only to vote on something or to say yes or no, but really that the, the, the people have their... Uh, their uh, action in the, the creation process. That's probably my background from, uh, from Northern Europe, where we are quite egalitarian. Mm. But I, I strongly believe that the new generation does want to be really involved uh, in the project definition, mm. structuration.
0: So they would challenge what is and they would inspire what could be like IMD. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you very, very much for being here, for sharing your thoughts on lifelong learning. We look very much forward learning more about you the next time. Thank, Thank you. you for welcoming me. Thank you.